Today's show is brought to you by Zip Recruiter, the presenting sponsor of Recode Media. Zip Recruiter's powerful technology finds people with the right experience for your job and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. And now our listeners can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash Peter. Today's show is brought to you by Hilton. Restaurant or room service, what would the boss do? Either way, the boss would choose Hilton Hotels and Resorts to get down to business. And a little pleasure. Check out Hilton Hotels and Resorts and travel like the boss. This is Recode Media from the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kurt Wagner, in for Peter Kafka. And today we're going to play an interview I did in Southern California recently with Nick Bell, the Vice President of Content at Snap. That means if you use Snapchat, you've probably seen his work inside the Discover section of the app where there are shows and uh, media partnerships and all of the professional content that uh, Snap's media partners create and put inside the app. So uh, here is the interview with Nick Bell. We hope you enjoy. Nick, thank you so much for joining Recode Media. I'm with Nick Bell from Snapchat, the VP of content, I believe, is your formal title. That is my formal title. It's good to be with you, Kurt. Yeah, thank you for being here. Uh, This is my first time, I just mentioned to you, it's my first time at this office. I found it interesting in two ways. Number one, it it felt very industrial from the outside, unlike the Venice Beach boardwalk situation you guys had at the old place. But then the inside, I could actually see people working. When I came to see Snap, a few years ago, I wasn't even allowed past the lobby. So it's like an open workspace you have here. You're probably going to get me in trouble. I don't know whether you're allowed on this floor, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad that I have you as an escort because that helps a lot. So um, thanks for being here. We have a a ton that I want to talk to you about. Um, As VP of content, that basically means... Well, I'll let you kind of describe, but I kind of think of you as overseeing everything that's not created by a Snap user. So shows and stories and things that are in Discover. Like, is that pretty much where you fall? Close, close. Everything to the right of the camera, that is not your friend content. Okay. So we we use a term internally as non-friend content. Um, but that also includes our story content, which is obviously created by the community, uh, which we curate you, and obviously... Got it. So you, you see, oversee that curation I team do, as well. Yeah. Um, cool. I want to talk about all that, but I actually want to talk a little bit about you first and just kind of your path to Snap because I heard an interview that you did, uh, I think it was a year ago or so in Europe and you, and you sold the company when you were 16 years old. I did. For a million dollars? I did. I mean, we, we don't talk about how much we sold it for, but it was, uh, it was a substantial amount of money and, yeah. and a very substantial amount of money when you are 16 yeah, years what old. what was it like to be in high school? I mean, let, let's pretend it's anywhere in the ballpark of a million dollars. What's it like to be in high school and, and have something like that happen? It was crazy. Um, you know, people say I sold a business, uh, and I, even I kind of say I sold a business. The reality was I sold a website. Um, it wasn't actually generating any money at the time, or certainly not a huge amount of money. Yeah. Um, a few affiliate links here and there in the early days of affiliates. Um, but yeah, it was a teenage website. I started sort of building websites back in the GeoCities days. Um, I w- became a huge fan of the, the PlayStation. And when the PlayStation first launched, uh, I became obsessed with cheats and hints and tips. And if you, I don't know whether it's the same in the US, but in the UK, you would buy these magazines and they were pretty expensive and they, were, they would often have a cheats and tips book attached to yep. the front. So I used to then go through those and uh, kind of retype them on a GeoCities page. And that kind of grew in, uh, grew in numbers from like 
two people a month to 20 people a month to 100 people a month. And I kind of loved watching that ticker at the bottom go up and up and up. Um, so we expanded it from just just games to be a ton of stuff for, for young people. So music, movies, that sort of thing. And uh, it kept growing. That ticker at the bottom just kept turning over. And then we got to the point, I remember being so proud and running down and telling my mom one day when we reached a thousand people a day. Yeah. Um, and yeah, from there, kept growing. We started to do more and more deals. Um, we became the homepage for teenagers on uh, BT Internet, which was one of the big service providers in the UK. And that kind of really skyrocketed the traffic. And from there, we caught the attention of several people. And um, finally, as, as I was nearing the end of my, what we call GCSE year in the UK, which is the exams you do when you're 16, um, got an offer and decided to, to go ahead, sell the company. But it was quite funny. One of the, one of the terms of the deal was I could not sign the deal until I'd finished my last exam. Oh, um, really? So not that I was not going to be distracted enough by this big, big, big right. deal going through, but I think they felt that if they persuaded me to actually complete my exams, it'd be better than not. How do you celebrate as a 16 year old when you, when you do something like that? I mean, I, it's hard to imagine. Well, yeah. What do you, what do you do? For me, it was, it was interesting because Later on in the process um, of sort of building the website, which was called teenfront.com, I, I got my best friend involved as well. He wanted to be a journalist. I was kind of interested. Smart man, in, super smart man. Exactly, yeah. exactly. He was not a successful journalist and now works in, in shipping, but you know, never mind. But he wanted to be a journalist. So he was like really up for writing a lot of the content where I was kind of building the website and kind of hustling the deals. Um, although, um, you know, the, the content was obviously where it started for me. Um, so he became a big part of the, the deal. And my parents were also heavily involved. Um, you know, I had huge support for my family. Um, my sister wrote for the, for the site. My mom was the agony aunt for the site. So I was answering, you know, questions for teenagers about sex, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Wow. Um, and cool uh, mom. yeah, under, under, under a, a pseudonym, but it was, you know, it was, it was, sure. it was, uh, it was pretty funny. So we actually went out and celebrated as a family and, and with Robbie, my best friend, um, who uh, I recently got married. He was my best man. So that is a relationship that's continued. And, you know, I think uh, I remember going out. We had we had a Chinese meal and we kind of celebrated like that. But it was it, at the time it, it just felt like the start of something. You know, honestly, I, I thought that you know being able to achieve something like that at sixteen, I was like you know expecting to be uh, snapping at the heels of Bill Gates by now. It was it felt like this was just the very start. Yeah, instead you're just snapping at the heels of Evan Spiegel. So, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, you're good in there. Um, <laughs> so how did you meet Evan and, and start? to work for Snap. I know you worked at News Corp for a while, right? Yeah, so after after uh, Teen Front, uh, I went to work for the company that acquired us um, and I was there for a, uh, just over a year. I left school at 16, so I've, I don't have any real formal education. Um, which is uh, which has meant that you know although, although I'm not that old, I've been doing this for a long time um, and built another few startups. Um, exited a couple of them successfully. I actually bought Teamfront back and then built it uh, or, you know, carried on running it for a bit and then sold it again, um, albeit not for a huge amount of cash that time. I actually um, went to the, the website uh, a couple of days ago, but it said it was up for sale. Is so it? you can buy it back. Uh, maybe again that, if maybe you that's want the to. next move. Maybe yeah, that's the yeah, next the move. Next phase. Um, but yeah, then then one of the 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 startups I created was a company called Quick TV. Uh, and Quick TV was built with the premise that online video was going to be big. Um, we got that one right. Uh, the second kind of guess was that, uh, or bet I should say, is that uh, 
this was not just going to be sort of linear video, but it was going to be interactive. So you were going to be able to, a little bit like with, with the web, you're going to be able to click on things and do things, and that was going to affect the course of the video. Um, we're starting to see some of that come through, actually. You know, it's interesting, all these years later, that was, so that was probably 10, 11 years ago. Um, we raised quite a lot of money um, for, for a startup. We raised, you know, a couple of million dollars. Um, and there was just a couple of us working on it. And unfortunately, we'd raised too much money that, you know, we had a bit of a lifeline, but um, it, we couldn't get it to work. And we kept, you know, it was banging my head against a brick wall every single day trying to make this work. Um, one of the good things for me is that there's a guy called Paul Cheeseborough, who uh, was a non-exec uh, for us at the time. And he was actually um, the chief technology officer at New School. So uh, after I finally kind of threw in the towel and admitted that interactive video was not quite ready for market yet, uh, he persuaded me to go and join him in London uh, and run digital product there. And then I ended up um, after five or six years moving to News Corp in the US uh, and working there. And uh, as part of that, Part of that gig, I was I was lucky enough to work very closely with Rupert, um, and I arranged uh, a sort of digital summit for him at CES one year. He, he hosted a digital summit there, and um, in twenty uh, started very start of twenty fourteen, the responsibility fell to me to to arrange this summit for him. Uh, and one of the speakers that we invited to this kind of closed room summit where there's like 20 or 30 news core execs um, was Evan Spiegel. Um, and, uh, you know, short, long story short, a couple of weeks later, I went for dinner with him in LA. Um, he invited me to the office the next day. Uh, and I later found out I was there for interviews. Um, I didn't know that at the time. So I remember the first person I spoke to, Emily White, um, kind of- Former COO. Former COO yeah. at Snap, walked in and she had my LinkedIn profile printed. <laughs> and then she started interviewing me. And I was so confused because I had no idea that I was actually there for interviews. Um, what so, was the pitch? I imagine they at some point, you know, obviously offered you a job and had to convince you that it was a good idea to leave Rupert Murdoch. So what, what did they tell you? So I actually was pitching Evan. So when we went for dinner, I was pitching Evan on the fact that I thought Snap should have premium content. It should have, you know, publisher content on there. And I was pitching him on the News Corp brands as, you know, was my role at the mm -hmm. time. Um, and over the course of dinner, um, I started kind of talking about the product. And, you know, if, if you've spent time with Evan, there's nothing he likes better than talking about product. Um, and we just kind of started brainstorming what this might look like. And he, he kind of stopped me and said, I don't often do this, but I want to show you something. So he, he got his phone out and he showed me an early prototype of Discover. Um, and then we spent the next hour critiquing it and, uh, he said, wow, that's incredible. I, I, you should come and see the office tomorrow then. You know, I naively went to the office thinking I was just going to see the office and ended up leaving with, quite literally leaving that day after meeting five or six people with, with an envelope with an offer in um, and uh, then had the very difficult decision of whether to join this small company in Venice, which was like 30 people at the time, just turned down big offers from Google and Facebook, if you believe the news, and uh, and go and join them to, to help help set up premium content on Snap. And after a lot of, a lot of back and forth um, with my friends and family and talking about the opportunity, um, I decided to to take the plunge and join. Um, and, you know, four and a half years later, I'm, I'm here. I was going to say, yeah, you made it past the, uh, the four-year mark where it feels like everybody in tech is like, you know, it's around that four-year mark is 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 when it's like, hey, people start thinking. Um, I do want to talk about the content that that you just mentioned. I mean, that is what Discover is. That's what you do every day. Um, you guys have shows. Uh, you have our stories, I believe, or live. What do you call our them stories? Now? Yeah, our stories. Yeah, uh, which are basically compilations of posts from users. 
Um, you have kind of a, I call them editions. What are they? Yeah. The magazine things? We call them publisher stories, but publisher yeah. Publisher yeah. stories. Um, what kind of works best in Discover these days? I know you're obviously coming out with uh, some new like episodic shows. Um, what, I guess, where do you spend most of your time talking with publishers? Like what are you encouraging them to create today? Yeah, and there's, there's one more which is actually live. So we, we actually now have live streams on on the, on the platform as well. So Live streams being uh, c- compiled posts about a live event or like no. live video streams? No, so live video streams. So we've just, you know, we started earlier this year with the Olympics um, and worked with NBC um, on a kind of product that we we called Moments That Matter. But, you know, we we jumped into the stream when Sean, Sean White was about to... Um, win gold. I say he was about to win gold, but when he was about to, you know, uh, whatever they call in snowboarding when you, when you jump off. Um, but yeah. And then, uh, we've, you know, we followed that more recently with, um, you know, the Kavanaugh, um, case a couple of weeks ago and Trump's press conference the day before that. So, you know, we're, we're finding that our users have a a real interest in what's going on at that moment. If it's, if it's a big event. And those Um, are snippets, right? Just a couple minutes even. Yeah. Um, the Kavanaugh case was obviously a little bit longer, but we're, we're experimenting with that. But to kind of go back to the, your original question, you know, for us, it's about trying to figure out the best way to super serve uh, the intent of somebody at that time. So, you know, we find that the the kind of publisher stories where um, they're short, sharp articles and um, sort of hypervisual um, multimedia kind of uh, like storytelling. magazine. Exactly, like a digital magazine. Those are great for people when they're on the go, when they're, you know, they've got one or two minutes just to jump in and find out what's happening and find out, you know, what's uh, what's going on in whatever particular subject they're interested in. Where, where shows for us is more of a kind of lean back experience, which people are, uh, tend to be watching when they're at home or, or uh, you know, when they've got a little bit more time. Uh, and that's more of a kind of lean back. I say lean back, it's very interactive, but it's, it's more of a kind of just entertain me experience. Um, so it, we're really just trying to figure out the, it all comes down to what is the optimum mobile experience mm-hmm. and how do we present content to our audiences uh, in the right way at the right time and then help them find that stuff really easily. It's funny you say lean back only because the length of those shows is is so short. It's, you know, four to five minutes an episode, right? So just the the whole notion on mobile of what lean back means versus television is so different. Right, and, that, and that's why I corrected myself. There's, there's no moment on mobile where you'll lean back. I think it's actually the least forgiving medium out there. Um, you know, you're constantly being distracted by an alert, um, you know, a message. Um, you, you know, you're constantly in an environment where there's other things going on uh, and therefore you're either deeply immersed or you're out. Um, and so, you know, from our point of view, creatively, that's that's both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because it's allowed us to really develop this format of mobile. Uh, and, you know, I think we're really leading the way there um, with what great mobile video looks like. And we, we believe and we, we know from the data that it's fundamentally a new medium, but it's also a curse because like creatively you can see when things aren't working and it's, it's, it's a harsh reality at times. Today's show is brought to you by Hilton. When you travel for work, do you stay by the airport or do you stay downtown? Do you take your clients out for dinner? Do you have room service? Should you pack your swimsuit? How do you answer these questions? Just ask yourself, what would the boss do? Here's the answer. The boss would choose Hilton. Hilton has modern meeting spaces and amazing pools and everything else you need to get down to business and a little pleasure. So check out Hilton Hotels and Resorts and travel like a boss. Merck scientist Daria Hazuda has failed countless times. But from those failures, medical invention was born. 
From years of trial and error researching infectious diseases, Dr. Hazuda has helped to develop medicines that help treat HIV and hepatitis C. For the next generation of inventors, Dr. Hazuda's passion, coupled with her commitment to eradicating the world's toughest diseases, proves that failure is a teachable moment. Daria is just one of the many Merck scientists dedicated to inventing for life. See why we invent at Merck.com slash inventing for life. We're back. I'm at Snap headquarters in LA. I'm with Nick Bell, who's the VP of content at Snap, talking about kind of shows and things in Discover. Um, you were just saying kind of about what works, what doesn't work on mobile. Uh, you guys have been, you know, arguably f- near the top first, whatever you want to say in terms of this vertical video stuff. Uh, what does work and what doesn't work? Like, what what have you found over the last couple of years? Well, I think it's interesting. It's actually the fifth anniversary this week. Don't know when this is going out. So uh, October 13th of uh, the Stories product on Snapchat. Okay. And if you think about the uh, the kind of history and the reason why Evan and Bobby built the Stories product, uh, it, was, it was prior to my time here, but um, they built it because people were requesting a send all button. Uh, and... You know, Evan and Bobby thought that would be really spammy if and and people become lazy and just click the send you all button. Send it to everyone that you were friends with. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so rather than that, they created the broadcast product, which is kind of the stories product. Um, and I think what was fascinating about that is it had a couple of fundamental differences to other products that were in the market. You know, first and foremost, um, it was chronologically ordered. So, um, you know, if you, if you were snapping all day, you would start with breakfast, go through lunch and end at dinner. Um, and you would append a snap to the end uh, uh, every time you posted. And, and, and second of all, it was just a really easy way to post things. And because, because these stories disappeared and the ephemerality, people just felt very comfortable. It was, it was kind of very relaxed and laid back. It wasn't, you know, creatively people weren't kind of umming and ahhing about whether they should post something to their story. So there was a lot of content being posted to stories from or from pretty early on in the product. Yeah, there's like no pressure, right? The whole, no pressure. This whole notion of lowering the bar of like what belongs e- e- Exactly. And, and so what was incredible from us from a Snapchat point of view is that our, you know, Snapchat is, our, our audience has started like really creating the language of what mobile video looked like. So, you know, first and foremost, you take the really obvious, it was all vertically cut um, and it was all full screen. And um, then what Snapchatters were doing would be whether, you know, whether they were snapping with their friends or posting to their story. But I think the story piece became interesting because it was just became so mass so quickly. And so what people would do is they would add um, visual elements. So, you know, uh, text and doodles initially. And, you know, as the years have gone on, it becomes more and more sophisticated. You can add stickers, effects, et cetera, et cetera. And so they would add layers which would make things pop. So, um, you know, I think that became interesting about, you know, how do you actually tell something uh, in, in, in a manner which is really quick to get up to speed with? And the second thing which I think was really interesting about mobile video is that because you had to hook people and keep them hooked, every single small snap that was appended was almost like its own beat. And so, you know, it, it had a, you know, a short beginning, middle and end. It had some sort of payoff and, and it was straight to the point. So, you know, I, I, I use the example, if, if we were filming this interview now, 
um, for TV or for a movie, we'd probably have a beautiful aerial shot down the coast of LA. We'd come in on rails through the car park here at Snap, steady cam up to this office, uh, that were this meeting room that we're sat in and zoom in on us. Um, if I was to snap car and say I'm with you, I would snap you and show that we're at the snap office. So I'd be straight to the point, subject matter first, and then context. It's really easy to skip too, right? Like if you, if, if I'm following you and you post something in your story and, and I get bored, I literally yeah, tap the screen exactly. and I'm to the next So you thing. tap to control the pace. And, and so the next point I was going to make is pacing's really, really mm. important. You know, you have to keep people engaged. And, you know, as, as I said just before, it's, it's so unforgiving so that if you don't keep people engaged, then people drop out. And so what we actually find found was that Snapchat has created the language of mobile video. And so when we started to think about what premium content looked like on Snap, um, and, and we launched the, the, the Discover product in January 2015, we started finding that short form video that was just taken from elsewhere and kind of slapped into uh, one of these digital magazines wasn't performing very well. Um, and therefore we moved to a point where um, it was no longer letterboxed, everything had to be cut vertically. And at that point we started to really kind of double down and think about what great mobile video looked like. And we had a big head start and a, a kind of an unparalleled advantage that we already had, you know, all of these people creating all of this content who, and so we had, you know, hundreds of million people plus creating, creating mobile video every single day. And they were teaching us what was working and they were doing a lot of the experimentation for us. It feels um, like you have a lot of high quality stuff on Discover. I have seen, but at the same time, I don't find myself going there. And I'm just wondering, is that because I'm not your target demo? Uh, is that because as someone who grew up with traditional TV, I'm used to seeing the widescreen and maybe a little bit higher quality of, of video? Like, I guess, who are you targeting with Discover and why, why is someone maybe like myself or my age group right around 30 not necessarily going there? So I'd say a couple of things. You know, we don't break it out, but a huge proportion of Snapchatters um, visit Discover every single day. Um, we do aim... At our core right now, it is definitely 13 to 24, the, the target for the vast majority of the content on there. Um, I think over time, um, and actually, you know, currently we're, we're actively looking for uh, to, to go into new markets and, and, and target new demos with, with a wider range of content. And I think the second thing is like, we've added a lot of really high quality content over the past um, few years. And I think, you know, the next step for us is to identify those behaviors and, and kind of super serve them. So, you know, what, what is it that you in particular would want to go to the page for? And then how do we, how do we organize the page to make that as efficient as uh, effective for you to find that content as quickly yeah. as possible? So I think, you know, we started on that earlier this year with, with the, the, the new design where there's a for you section, which is algorithmically ranked. Um, there's a lot of big learnings coming out of that. And I think, you know, the next step for us with Discover is to take the take the learnings from the For You ranking uh, and start to make it so that the page really super serves users. Yeah, it does feel at times, I will say like a little cluttered. Uh, there's just so much stuff on there. Is that feedback you get from other people? Is there is there a way to kind of organize it without necessarily an algorithm, but that still kind of cleans it up? for you. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And that is something that, you know, I, we think about a lot. Um, how do you reduce the cognitive load when you go to that page? How do you introduce like simple visual hierarchy, etc.? And don't forget, we started off with 12 channels a couple of years ago. These 12 beautifully clean circles right. on a page I that, remember. you know, users would tap into and kind of 
unbox a, a package of content every single day. Um, and uh, as we've grown and as we've added more content, that's changed. And I think, you know, we, we go through these cycles and then uh, we learn a lot and we, we evolve. So I think, you know, expect to see more there. Yeah, you do have um, the way it's you know, set up now is it looks like a magazine cover basically to kind of lure me in. What I will say, I just I just told you there was a lot of high quality stuff on there. I also noticed there's some stuff that seems like clickbaity to me, like a lot of bikini photos. I was even just looking this morning, there was like a Kim Kardashian teaser. There was a, you know, sexiest selfies thing from, from one of the publishers. Uh, and this is not something that I've just, I've, I've heard this from a lot of people who say, hey, there, it's, it feels kind of, um, maybe dirty is the word at some times. Like, do you care about that? How much do you, are you aware of that? Um, and, and what do you think of it? Well, if someone uses our product all day, every day, um, I, I certainly, you know, hope that I, I see what our, what our uh, Snapchatters see as well. Um, you know, I think it's, it's balanced, right? There's a lot of high quality content on there as well from the likes of the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, The Economist. Um, so I think, you know, people look at something and they see what they want to see. I think from our point of view is like, we want to make sure that it's easier to navigate that page. And if you don't want to see that stuff, you don't have to see that stuff. Um, but we have so much high quality content on there now that, you know, we feel that there is something for everybody. We've just got to get the right content to the right people at the right time. Yeah. Does that stuff diminish the high quality stuff? Like if I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal, they have a really thoughtful uh, story about, you know, economics in China, but it's right next to the Daily Mail telling me to click on bikini photos. Like, you know, there is this association, this proximity association that that happens. So is that something you're you're worried about? I think it all comes down to organization. And like, you know, if you go into a, into a newsstand, um, you know, in the airport, which is where I, I tend to go into them. And sure. I, I love print. You know, I came out of News Corps. I, I still love print, magazines and newspapers, um, which people are always surprised that with my kind of digital hat on now. Um, but I go, into a, I go into a newsstand and, you know, you have a wide range of, of magazines in there. You, you, your eye is drawn and you, you kind of walk towards the section you're interested in. And, and therefore, you know, if you think, if you're interested in home and garden magazines, you go to that section and like, for all you care about, you know, you don't really notice anything else. So I think that's one of the things we need to do. Um, you know, I think the Daily Mail is the most popular news right. website in the world. Um, I think, you know, they, they're, their content is highly entertaining and highly engaging and performs very, very well. And, you know, we love the team across at the Daily Mail. Um, and, but it's, you know, it's popular content and, right. you know, popular culture. And the reason why it's called popular culture is because it is popular. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, um, you know, it's for everybody. And I think the most important thing for us is trying to provide a diet. I think, you know, helping people learn about the world is something we, we care deeply about. You know, I mentioned earlier on the live streams with Kavanaugh. I mentioned, you know, the press conference with Trump. We think those things are really important. And I think the, the thing that's really kind of heartening for me is, uh, as somebody who is really interested in the world of news and politics is that our users also are consuming that content in huge numbers. You know, I think uh, we, we talked, Peter Hamby mentioned this last week when he was being interviewed in a panel, but the Kavanaugh live stream was watched by 4.3 million people. That's a huge number of young people who are tuning into something which, you know, is fundamental in the, the world of, in the world of current affairs. And, you know, that gives me a lot of heart as well. Yeah. And I know, I, I think, uh, I don't know if it was you specifically or Evan or maybe Peter, but you've talked about almost like a responsibility, the fact that you have 13 to 24 is kind of your target demo saying, hey, they're probably not going to get their news from the, you know, uh, the same sites that maybe 
uh, older people are going to. So Snap has a an opportunity to teach them about politics with Peter Hamby's show or whatever. Like, how much do you think of this as a responsibility versus an opportunity? I think I think the two are really tightly combined here, right? You know, Good Luck America was the first show we ever created. That was created uh, in advance of the 2016 election to try and help educate people a little bit more. Um, you know, and uh, the name just turned out to be pretty fitting <laughs> with, yep. with what, what, everything that's gone on since then. So, um, you know, that show has continued running. We're excited to take that show into the 2016, uh, sorry, into the, the 2018 midterms. Um, we also, you know, have launched what I believe is the biggest uh, young person's new show in, in, in the country now with Stay Tuned, which is, you know, produced by NBC News, hugely popular, reaches over 5 million people a day, has very high loyalty. And, you know, nothing makes me kind of prouder, if you like, than when I meet people and they tell me that they were at dinner, uh, around the dinner table, at a family dinner, and their kids are starting to chip in on something that's happening in the news. And they're like 13, 14 years old. They say, how do you know that? They say, oh, I found out about it on Snapchat. And, the, you know, that's, that's always great for me to hear. Um, I think, you know, we you know, informing people about what's going on in the world is so important. And it's definitely a big, big part of uh, the thing that I'm driving here at Snap. I think what's um, been somewhat interesting to me is that you you keep announcing partnerships and you have these new kind of uh, um, episodic shows coming. How are you? Serialized shows is I think how they're being described. Um, kind of original content. There's, you mentioned NBC as partners. Like you have big partners, ESPN. Um I feel like Discover should make more money, quite frankly. And I know you don't break it out necessarily, but like the company is is losing a lot of money. And I know this is just one element of that, but how do you grow all of this into an actual business? What is keeping you from, I guess, you know, making this twice as big as it is today? You know, we are growing really quickly. I mean, if you, you know, our, our financials are public now. Um, and if you look at the, the growth that we've had over the last sort of three years, it's been huge. Um, I think, you know, we, we've had... Uh, a lot of sort of things going on there to, to improve the ad products and building out the ad tech stack. But, you know, don't forget that we launched the first ads uh, when we launched Discover very early in 2015. Um, and, but really, you know, didn't, didn't launch a proper ad product in, until the middle of that year. So we're a few years into this and, you know, rapidly growing. And I think uh, for, for me, it's about driving the engagement. That's what I'm really focused on. And, you know, if you look at time spent with premium video since the start of this year, it's, it's almost tripled. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a huge demand for it from our audience. We're figuring out how to do it. You know, we're trying to crack the code and I think we're, we're really close to, you know, cracking the code on what great mobile video looks like in a, in a very replicable way. You know, I think we've, we've had some standout hits and, you know, the, the general quality is getting better and better and we're, we're getting better at working with partners on that. So if we keep driving that engagement, you know, I think our ad products are really solid. They're starting to drive a lot of value for our advertisers. You know, we hear that more and more. The return on investment from advertisers is, is something that is, you know, an, every, an everyday thing for the people that are on the platform. And I think that's so powerful. And I think combining huge uh, audiences with great engagement and an ad product that really works for, for our advertisers, you know, is, is a formula that will, will just keep getting better and better. Have you thought about subscriptions at all? I came from a business that was based around subscriptions, right? You know, and I helped launch the Times of London. Um, 
I can call it a paywall now that I don't work there. Paywall was seen as a negative term. I think I can't remember what we called it, I think but that's pretty standard. Yeah, <laughs> it is you right. Can say it now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we we try to avoid that term. You know, the Wall Street Journal obviously was is a big subscription business. Um, you know, the the, the, the Fox side of the business was all about affiliate fees, etc. So, um, you know, I, I came from that world. I think it's really interesting to see. Um, some of the sort of more industry-led publications have great success there. Um, and I think, you know, going forwards, I think there is a world where um, a lot of consumer entertainment will be as well. I mean, you know, you know we're already seeing that with Spotify, with Netflix, with Hulu, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, I think... Um, I think there is a, there is a world where that becomes really interesting. It's not something we're looking at right now. Um, it's not something that you know we we're, we're considering or working on. But um, I can see a world in the future where that becomes the norm. Um, I think there's still a lot of friction involved with subscription, right? And and I think that's what's interesting about you know the acquisitions that um, the, or the and the mergers and the, the, the big sort of conglomerates that have been formed with the likes of Verizon and AT and T, etc., where you've got you've got the pipes um, or you know the, the the wireless connectivity with devices, and then you have a large sort of content operation as well. And I think actually being able to bill people for content in a really frictionless way is is important. You know, yeah. I was driving through LA a couple of weeks ago, and I passed like four or five billboards in a row and it was telling me that every network that I was passing was the fastest and like you know as a consumer that I just you know I'm so confused by that so how do you differentiate you know I think that the, the race to the bottom on price is not a healthy one so I think telcos um, you know differentiating by content offering makes a lot of sense and I, I could see that it being a, a viable business in the future I don't know how how big of um, a challenge I would be with your target demo too I just don't know you you would probably know better than I if 13 to 24 year olds are willing to spend money for this kind of content or if they just say oh well if snap's going to charge me I'm going to go somewhere else yeah I think you know we're already seeing this with Netflix and Spotify I mean we're, yeah. we're the uptake for 13 14 15 year olds Netflix and Spotify is huge um they're probably not paying for it directly if they are it's probably you know actually a parent who yeah, or, mom and dad or, yeah exactly paying, sure. um and I, again I think that's where that's where the telco could come in and really help with that if you're a 13 or 14 year old and you're going into into a store to to pick a mobile for the first time and you're choosing the, the package that you want and they're differentiated by content that could kind of become interesting so mm-hmm. I think that's a wait and see but you know I think it's it's definitely uh too premature for snapchat to start charging people for content okay I'm gonna send it uh back for one more ad read and then we'll be back Today's show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, which is the presenting sponsor of Recode Media. Thank you, ZipRecruiter. You know what's not smart? Buying all your music on 8-Track. Who would do that? You know what is smart? Using ZipRecruiter to hire for your business. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Their powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. And ZipRecruiter spotlights the top candidates for your job so you never miss out on a great match. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. Who rates them number one? Trustpilot. They rated hiring sites with more than 1,000 reviews. That's who. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Now, our listeners can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash Peter. That's ziprecruiter.com slash Peter. Okay, and we're back one last time. I'm with Nick Bell from Snapchat. Uh, one industry question, and then I want to ask you about Snap more broadly. Industry, what do you think of IGTV? 
IGTV is, that's a good question. I've not found anything on there which is compelling that I want to keep going back for. Um, I was excited about the concept of it when we were hearing about it through the industry before it launched because, you know, the more that can be done to really push forward great mobile video, the better. Um, so I, for me, it's still a wait and see. So it wasn't a, you didn't see that as a direct threat to discover? Um, when it I, seems pretty, I mean, I mean, to me, if, as an outsider, it seems like a pretty clear, like, direct competitor. When I, when I heard about it, I did. When I've seen it, I don't. Um, I just, you know, I don't think they're really trying to push forward the, the, the kind of um, quality bar yeah. of mobile video in the same way that we are. Um, and, you know, I've not seen anything on there to date, which, as I said, is really compelling. It's going to keep yeah. me coming back. It seems like a pretty broad kind of spray of content right now. It's clearly much more creator-focused, I feel like. You guys tend to work with maybe the larger media companies and brands. They're, they're working with creators. That's kind of always been a knock on Snap, actually, is that you didn't work with cr creators early enough or you haven't done enough. Do you have any regrets about how you guys have handled kind of the creator community? Definitely no regrets, but it is something that we've been leaning into a lot recently to try and understand. Um, and I think, you know, we've started to get a much better grip of what A, creators want and how we build a sort of sustainable long-term ecosystem for them. Um, and I think what what I really like is the the kind of, the, the world of Vine did this really well. I think, you know, again, to, to kind of call out YouTube did this really well. I mean, there was, a, there was a generation of YouTubers created, right? And these were people who were creating actually really high quality, compelling content. Um, and I think for me, that is something that we look at and we think about, you know, is there a way um, to, to kind of really help grow that part of our ecosystem. We've obviously got the, the celebrity stories, which do incredibly well, but celebrity stories to me are only interested, really interesting uh, occasionally, or if you're really interested in that celebrity. That kind of voyeuristic element of, you know, getting on a private plane and, you know, walking up the steps to uh, the stage for a concert or a presentation or something are interesting if you like that person. Then once in a while, something amazing will happen in that person's life that everyone cares about. But I think actually what I'm kind of more interested in right now is is how do you carve out um, a, a, a segment of for you know content creators who are producing really compelling st compelling storytelling around pretty broad subjects in the same way that media companies uh, of today are, are doing and I and I think that we see that as a big opportunity. Yeah, um, I have a million more questions, but I do need to, I want to ask you about Snap more broadly before we run out of time. Um, it feels, again, from the outside, we've seen a lot of people leave kind of in the executive ranks. Um, I'm curious, can you give us a sense of kind of what's going on right now? I mean, it's been, a, uh, has it been, I guess it's been a year and a half, I guess, since the IPO. Um, you know, it, the stock is not doing very well. I don't think that's any surprise. I mean, what, what from you, from your seat on the inside, what is happening right now inside the company? I think we're... We're growing from being a startup to a real business, right? And and at times that's tough, and it's you know it can be um, it can be embarrassing at times as you kind of mature. I mean, I remember you know growing up as a teenager and the things that you do that you know you're stupid and not proud of, but you come out stronger for it on the other side. And it kind of feels to me a little bit with Snap, like we we've gone through that a little bit. Um, and you know, I think as we come out of the, the, this year, we're going into you know Q4, and we're going into 2019, and in a in a really strong position. We've you know you you talk about the executive hires that have left. Um, I think 
we're really excited about the, some of the executive hires who've joined as well. You know, Tim Stone, Tim Stone joined us from Amazon. Right. Jerry Hunter joined us from uh, Amazon as well. Um, and they're just two examples. You know, if you, if you go back through and look at the, the the kind of executive team that Evans formed here, I think every year it's got stronger and stronger. And, you know, I'm really proud to be a part of that team. And I'm also, you know, really excited because I'm learning a lot from these people as well. You know, I think... It's it's been well publicized um, that you know Amazon is is a, a business which is incredibly well run, yeah. and you know Tim and Tim and Jerry, not Tom and Jerry, don't don't <laughs> confuse them. Tim and Jerry coming through from from Amazon and bringing you know the the the, the kind of six page document and the, the the kind of strategic planning process, and you know a lot of that operational excellence is is great for me to learn from. You know, I, I learned a lot of that when I was at News, but it's I, I think just seeing it from a slightly different angle is always fascinating, and you know. I I think the team that we're building at Snap, it continues to get better and better year on year. And uh, as I said, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of that. Yeah, I mentioned at the very beginning, you've been you've crossed that four-year threshold. Do you plan to stick around for a while? The four-year threshold's interesting. Everyone talks about that. Well, um, your stock best, man. I, I know, makes but their money you, and they're ready to try something new. I know, but not everyone is here just for the stock. And you know, if if you get to the end of the four years and you're still being successful, then I, you know, I, I think the, the the general understanding is that you get additional grants, etc. So the four years for me is irrelevant. Okay. Um, I will be at Snap as long as I feel super excited about the company and as long as I feel super excited about what I'm doing day to day. And right now, uh, you know, we've talked about some of that stuff today. Right now. I'm having a blast and I'm, I'm excited about the stuff we're launching towards the end of this year. Super excited. Okay. And two more questions. Um, uh, no one likes to, you know, talk about this following the stock price of a publicly traded company when you work at it, but it's also kind of makes a lot of noise. People like myself can't stop talking about it. Um, how do you, do you follow, I assume you follow the stock price, but how do you kind of ignore that or, or not let it creep into your day to day or, or do you? There's a few things I, initially I would look at the stock price regularly. Um, I think over time you realize that, you know, it's a, it's a weird kind of voting machine. I can't remember who said the, who said the, uh, the quote about voting machine versus a weighing machine, but you kind of understand that that's true, right? There's, you know, people are, people are making uh, assumptions on our business, analysts, analysts are writing reports and you start to read these and I read these reports and I don't recognize the company they're writing about a lot of the time. You know, they're, they're making some, some pretty wild and often uh, incorrect sort of <laughs> judgments uh, and, and guesses, if you like. So I think, you know, when you're on the inside of a company uh, and you know what's happening day to day and you understand the long-term vision and the long-term kind of outlook, it's, uh, it, it's it's much easier than just you know being a blind outsider who looks at the stock price and it, it decides on you know whether a company's doing badly or well. Yeah. Last question because I'm getting eyes that I've held you much too long. Um, you mentioned a couple of Amazon execs who now work here. We had Scott Galloway on our, one of our podcasts the other day. He said Amazon's going to buy Snap uh, in the next. I think he said five years or something. What do you think? Should Amazon buy Snap? Should Amazon buy Snap? Oh, I I think Amazon's an incredible company. Um, I think you know they they don't have a product like Snap. Should they buy Snap? That's not my decision to make. Um, I think we feel really um, you know I think we we feel better position than ever before to really grow out Snapchat as the fastest way to communicate and and also have a really strong premium content offering. We feel that, and uh, you know I'm so confident that that will be a really successful big business. So I think this concept of acquisition is, you know, pretty irrelevant actually right now. Okay. Uh, Nick Bell, thank you so much for, for being on Recode Media. We, we appreciate it. 
Good to see you, Kurt, and thank you for coming in. Thank you. Thank you again to Nick Bell for coming on the podcast. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you liked this episode of Recode Media, please tell your friends about it. You can follow me on Twitter at KurtWagner8. And thank you also to our sponsors and to Cadence 13 and Vox Media for selling all of those ads that you heard during the show. Thanks to Joel Robbie, who edits the show, and to our producers, Golda Arthur and Eric Johnson. This is Recode Media, and we'll see you next week. Today's show is brought to you by Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up into the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for a pure, crisper water. And guess what? They did. This is the kind of water that regular water gets jealous of. And it's the water that refreshes like no other brand. Try it. Smartwater. Vapor distilled for purity. Electrolytes for taste.